This Blitz podcast is brought to you by Bravado Wireless. Available online at bravadowireless.com. And joining us now here on the Blitz 1170 from Sooner Scoop, part of On3, is Josh McQuistian joining us here on the Blitz. What's up, Josh? How are you doing on this Thursday, man? Uh, I'm doing well, you know, just kind of uh, this... I swear every morning I wake up, it kind of feels like this could be the day. Like Oklahoma recruiting at some point is going to pick up the steam that OU fans are waiting for. But so far, I am uh, I'm waiting just like they are. I'm sure that's playing well with everyone's nerves, right? Because everyone's just so calm and collected when it comes to things like recruiting, Josh. I literally had a guy, I mean, not only did he fight through all the problems that are Twitter right now, but took time to send me about a two-paragraph question. Basically, I'm not sleeping through the night. Tell me Oklahoma's recruiting is going to get better. And, and I'm like, I don't know that I should be responsible for anyone's <laughs> mental health. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, so like I said, there there are better days ahead. But I, I get that at this point in the summer, OU fans are ready for things to start really picking up. Hey, that seems like a lot of pressure, Josh, <laughs> that you've got to be responsible for someone's mental well-being uh, over kids that haven't made a decision on where they want to go to school and college yet. So, you know, I feel for you, my man. I feel for you. Hey, before we get to recruiting, I just have a general question that I've I've wondered about. Uh, you guys' platform at Sooner Scoop with the ch- changing landscape that is news, recruiting, and also portal. Um, what is the breakdown that you see? I, I, you, you guys are kind of the OGs of, of handling all the recruiting elements. There's not a better source of information for recruiting through Oklahoma than what you guys are. Um, is it as big as it ever has been before, just on the on the plain recruiting front? And but how much has actual transfer portal news taken away from uh, what the recruiting aspect is that you guys do? Not in terms of coverage, but just in terms of attention. Does that take away a lot of the attention from j- even the recruiting base? It, it does to some degree. I mean, because I spend basically from signing day in December, which, you know, is somewhere usually between probably the 15th and 19th in December, from that point really until, you know, February, I'm doing a lot more transfer portal coverage than I am, you know, within recruiting. I, you know, talking to the, the portal guys that do want to talk, trying to find, you know, maybe I know a guy at the staff of the school that that player is coming from that Oklahoma is interested in. So, you're, you're doing a lot of that, and you do have to, you know, segment your time in a different way. Now, the way the calendar works, that's not that big of a problem because there's not a lot happening in recruiting, especially for programs like Oklahoma. I mean, if they're bringing anybody in in the February window at this point, it's one or two guys. It's very minimal compared to, you know, the era I grew up covering recruiting in. So it is – it's allowable, but, I mean – there used to be, after signing day, you had this nice breather, but now that signing day is in December, you immediately go into the portal, and then almost immediately, you know, Eddie and the guys are doing spring football, mm-hmm. and then you have another portal window. So, I mean, it, this is, you know, uh, July, it, it's funny because July has become a big commitment weekend or a big commitment month, and but really it and the first half of August is the only time when I don't have something clearly taking up my time, whether it's camps, portal, you know, signing day run up, uh, the, it, it, there used to be these big open windows. And 
I can't even imagine for the coaches. Like, there is just nothing that exists like that right now. They might have two weeks where they can even take a breath. Which gets us back to the calendar perspective on this. And I know that they're they're limiting the, the window that the portal is open. Do you see in the future those significant changes to the calendar coming? And do coaches actually want that? I, I They absolutely do. I mean, th- there's no way that you can do this. And, you know, when, when you look at all of a sudden you see more and more guys going from being position coaches at major universities to being second assistants in the NFL. And obviously the NFL can pay great money, but you're, the buck doesn't stop with you. You're just, you're kind of there, you know, helping out another long-term NFL guy. And in some cases they're going and becoming position coaches, but you don't see that happening 10 years ago. Now it's becoming more and more prevalent because these guys are just being asked to you know, obviously try to have a family life while recruiting their own roster of players, while recruiting someone else from another roster, while recruiting the high school kids. Like, that's that's just not mentally tenable. You can't be at 120% all the time and not burn out. So I think college football risks losing a lot of really young, talented coaches because of that inability to have any time to – you know, just to be around their family. You know, the NFL is a is a huge work rate. I'm not saying it's not, but they don't have to recruit. They don't have to worry about personnel decisions. They don't have to do any of that. They coach football and then they go home. And so it's it's just a very different thing. And recruiting's always been there. And I think college coaches love that they can have a hand in building their own, you know, their position room. But still, there it, it's just become so out of hand that I think they do have to really find uh, excuse me, find some defined roles and timelines for all of this to work together. And I think it's possible. It's just the NCAA is going to have to sit down with coaches and really get a what can work for you type of conversation happening. It's one of those scenarios where you can only burn hot for so long. Like you can only r- run it in the red for so long before you finally just give out. You have little breakdowns here or there. Uh, I worry about them because I look at pictures of coaches and it's a lot like when we see those photos, Joss, of when someone goes into the White House in year one and then what they look like after they're done in year four and how much they age. I mean, I put coaches in that same category. It is an absolute grinder for them. I know they get paid a lot of money, but the average person has no idea the amount of grind that goes on behind the scenes with all of these guys. And I just I'm with you. I don't think they can keep doing it for an extended period of time under this current calendar. No, I, I agree. I mean, I know OU fans don't want to have any sympathy, but look at Lincoln Riley when he was hired at USC and look at compare that to the pictures of him being hired at Oklahoma. It is, it is a grind trying to be a head coach. And that forgets the assistant coaches, even down to, you know, GAs and analysts and those kind of things. Like, those guys have a lot of water to carry. And even though there are a lot of them, and Oklahoma's got a huge staff now, and, you know, and this is true at any school, not just Oklahoma, but there is, that's really hard to keep that pace. And again, you're talking about not only all these conversations, but we're tracking things on social media and we're doing all the things that we've got to do there to make sure we're engaged with these kids and know what's going on with them from day to day. And that's, I mean, that that's a 27 hour a day job. And, you know, uh, it's, it's just, again, it's just not possible. It is not, as Josh McQuistion joins us here from Sooner Scoop. Okay, you had a story that was uh, up, 
and it was posted from yesterday. When will the wave break for the Sooners with a big question mark next to it? Where are we at right now in terms of recruiting? Because in numbers-wise, um, aren't they kind of on pace or even a little bit ahead of pace from where they've been in other years? But it's it's it still does not mean that there's not a whole lot of tension right now with some of the bigger names that have yet to commit. Oh, th- there's no doubt. I mean, there it's, it's interesting because, you know, I let in talking about – well, Oklahoma's got to get it going, and there's got to be some momentum here at some point. They've gotten five commitments in a little over two weeks. Like they, <laughs> They've had an active summer, but a lot of the big names that everybody's watching, the, the williams Winaries, the David Stones, the Taylor Tatums, a lot of the really front-line premier guys that they're chasing just haven't made a decision yet. And, again, that's, that's one of those kind of Schrodinger's cats moments. You can see that as bad and say, well, they should be in the boat for Oklahoma, or – you can see it as good because they're not somewhere else either. So it's all in how you want to look at it. And I think Oklahoma's in really good shape for all three of those guys, as well as several other elite targets that they are chasing. Um, but you do, I mean, you get into a situation here where Oklahoma, you know, currently sitting at, um, uh, excuse me, 11 commitments. So you have that happening. And then you look at last year, where I thought this was about the time, not I thought, but this absolutely was the time where you started to see Oklahoma starting to pick up that momentum, starting to get things going. And, you know, for example, you know, last year you had Phil Picciotti committing on the 4th of July, and then a couple days later, Jaquez Petaway. Then a couple days after that, Caden Green, Logan Howland, E.J. Adabare. You started to see mid-July really from – like I said, Phil Picciotti on the 4th of July until Derek LeBlanc in late July, Oklahoma just racked up a commitment about every four days. I mean, like it really was very almost planned and scheduled, even though I know that it wasn't. So they've just got to find a way to get a little rhythm. And you wonder if they can get one of these guys, one of these big guys, especially on the defensive line, to jump in, does that create a little bit of a chain reaction? You start seeing these other guys saying, well, I want to play with that guy, and I want to play with P.J. Adabare, and, and some of this young talent that Oklahoma has coming, maybe it can start to build on itself. So this group of guys that they're still kind of waiting on, uh, maybe we can go through some of them, Josh, and and you give us a, a, a sense of gut feeling uh, in terms of whether it's a percentage or everything else about them actually picking Oklahoma. But, you know, the the names here on the list, I mean, they've been we've talked about them ad nauseum, you know, the David Stones of the world, the Taylor Tatums, Nigel Smith, uh, uh, the Durham kid, uh, all of them. Um, how do you feel like that they're sitting right now in the minds of most of these guys that they're waiting on? I think when you look at their really premier targets, a lot of the top guys, as far whether you're talking about rating or just where OU sees these guys, which in a lot of cases there's a lot of correlation, I think Oklahoma stands in good shape. Taylor Tatum, you mentioned the, the nation's number one running back according to the on-three industry rankings. I think he's leaning to Oklahoma. And, you know, we've talked about it before. Skip Johnson and the baseball staff have done a really good job building that relationship, making him feel comfortable. Um, and, and then, you know, you kind of move down. We had an article earlier this week, I just called it kind of a hot board, where we went down and ranked kind of an order of the guys that I think are most imminent in their decisions and kind of where OU is. Uh, another guy is Zon Raggins, the uh, wide receiver from Jones County in Georgia that I think Emmett Jones has done an outstanding job on. And I, I tell anybody that will listen, when you look at Zion, you see 5'10", 160, and you say, oh, that, that's kind of small. 
Zion Raggins is a legitimate 10, 300 meter guy. He can absolutely fly. And that I don't think I have to say a lot beyond that to understand why OU has made him a priority. I think they're in a battle with Florida State, but I think Oklahoma pretty clearly is the leader, talking to some Florida State sources, even coming out of his official visit uh, to Tallahassee a couple of weeks ago. I think they very much felt like they were chasing uh, Oklahoma in that one. Um, David Stone, obviously local kid going to IMG Academy. I think Oklahoma's in good shape. I haven't heard anything to change my stance on that. But David has been to Oklahoma probably 25 times, and he's been everywhere that he's looking at three, four, five times at least. There comes a point where you're just like, well, you know, when is this going to happen? Like <laughs> at some point that everything's got to kind of line up and start to really take place. So he's one that I kind of continue to watch and think, you know, maybe, maybe something could happen here in the near future. Um, I think the most interesting battle, though, is williams Winery, the uh, number two, pl- number one defensive player in the country, according to the on-three industry rankings, and the top five guy pretty much consensusly around the recruiting industry. 6'6", 260, I mean, he is a guy that is going to come in, you know, wherever he goes, and next year has a chance to push for playing time, and in a place like Oklahoma might walk into a starting position. He is exceedingly gifted, and, uh, you know, when you – when you consider about him and Adabare opposite of each other for a couple of years on Oklahoma's defensive line, that's that's what oh, that's the kind of jumpstart OU needs going into the SEC, and they are they're battling the big dog in the SEC right now. It, it feels like it's going to be Georgia or Oklahoma for him. Uh, let's run down Josh here as we get set to wrap up. Josh McQuishan from Sooner Scoop, part of On Three. Uh, some of the commitments that they have picked up here um, there towards the end of June. Um, you can run down in any order in particular that you like. Uh, a lot of the guys that they picked up here um, projected Oklahoma early on and ended up making that commitment. But out of this group, who do you like? The I would say there's a couple that really stick out to me. I would start with the most recent is Ivan Carey on the um, wide receiver from Odessa, Texas, had been a commitment to Texas Tech. Obviously, you know, it sounds like no big deal to beat Texas Tech, but when you're going into Odessa, you're talking about a kid that is very regional there to Lubbock, and I think the connection he had with Emmett Jones, who obviously made that same move from Lubbock to Norman, uh, was big here. And you watch this guy on tape, he is legitimately 6'6", 210 pounds. I had a chance to see him in person at the OU camp, and he is every bit that big. He is a large wide receiver that Emmett Jones has had a very good track record with. You look at Jaron Bradley, who was on the All-Big 12 list, you know, this morning that came out. So Emmett Jones has a good track record with these body types, these big guys. And this is a guy that kind of reminds me of Johnny Wilson, who OU fans are going to remember torching OU in the Cheez-It Bowl last year. So big bodied, can get down the field, is quicker than you think he is. I like him a lot. Um Obviously, I think everybody knows Xavier Robinson, so I won't spend too much time there, but a powerful back that brings a lot of unique ability and things he can do in Oklahoma's offense. Um, the, other, the other guy I would probably mention is James Nesta, the uh, linebacker from North Carolina. Very natural pass rusher, um, kind of in some ways. Reminds me of like a young Dan Cody. People forget Dan Cody when he arrived at OU was like 195, <laughs> 200 pounds. Nesta's 6'5", 205 right now. I certainly don't want to say that's where he's going to end up or he's going to be a defensive end. I think the plan is linebacker. 
but he is a natural pass rusher, so it'll be kind of interesting to see what they do with him. Yeah, I I saw his uh, overall size on that. How does uh, how does he run, uh, Josh? From what you've seen at that at six five two hundred five with uh, with that light frame, really well, man. And that and that's what I like. I see a guy that can burst. He's got some bend off the edge. Um, I don't know, you know. Again, and I, I Dan Cody is a guy. I was in school when Dan was there. I have a mm. lot of respect for his yeah. game. I watched him play a lot. I don't want to say he's going to be of that caliber, but there's some there's some similarity there is what I would say. Um, and, you know, just to kind of highlight the other two guys, because I don't want anybody to feel like any of these five aren't quality players. Uh, Dozy Ezekama, the younger brother of Eric Ezekama that played at Texas Tech, also under Emmett Jones, came up for one of OU's camps last month, picked up an offer almost immediately. Very big, smooth, athletic guy, um, really – uh, you know, kind of in that, I guess in his playing style and the way he's going to succeed, it's going to look a little like C.D. Lamb, kind of can work to all levels and those kind of things. Now, again, not saying we're talking about C.D. Lamb here. That's an unfair comparison to throw at any kid. But he is a very gifted guy, very fluid and natural athlete. And then finally, Wyatt Gilmore, who is the first ever Oklahoma recruit. I can remember them landing in the state of Minnesota, and I went back and looked. I believe he's only the second player from Minnesota that will have ever played at OU. So I think that's a really kind of interesting, kind of funny storyline. But very physical defensive end, 6'4", 250. Um, is kind of, he was there for these big visit weekends, so you kind of expect him to start having communication with guys like David Stone and Williams and Ari and some of the other big defensive linemen that Oklahoma is chasing right now. Josh, good stuff, man, and congratulations to you and uh, all the crew there. I saw that you uh, posted that list that was thrown out of uh, all the movement there, largest audiences on different fan sites. Uh, you guys there inside the uh, top ten with what we've seen here so far, um, you know, sandwiched in between Penn State and, and Florida, man. Congrats. Uh, it, I'm sure it makes the move seem that much more seamless than probably uh, what it was in general, but, man, you guys are killing it right now, and I always thank you for taking time to come on with us here in Tulsa. Hey, you know, anytime, Pop, I'm happy to come on with you, man. That's Josh McQuistian joining us here on the Blitz 1170 via Sooner Scoop and on three, giving us a rundown on recruiting, where I feel like you just pull that collar off to the side for some Sooner fans, and you'll just see steam start to pour out from that collar, waiting and waiting and waiting, as Josh says, for that next wave to break. All right, it's 220 here on the Blitz. Live from the Ike Chilliard studio, serving four generations of Tulsans since 1908. When we come back, baseball. There's always got to be one. That's next. Thank you for listening to this exclusive Blitz 1170 podcast from Bravado Wireless.